you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, true. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital DVD, Tubi, and Amazon Prime. And DVD. You already said DVD. Damn it. I always like to fill in the you gaps that I didn't ruin need to. what I say. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do it at all. <laughs> Well, I'm also a person. My name is Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has directed two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently in pre-production on my third Best Friends Forever, which will have a title change. And all of this will be real, ridiculous, nonsense, unhelpful promotion. I am a producer's rep who used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. And back to you, Ulrich. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. <laughs> this week, we welcome writers and directors Ian and Esham Nelms back on the show to talk about their latest feature film, Red Right Hand, starring Orlando Bloom, Andy McDowell, and Garrett Delahunt, who you probably don't know that name, but you recognize his face because he is so good and in so many things. After that, we play another round of Y'all the Expert. But first, Liz, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We had a meeting with this production company for this feature, Best Friends Forever, that I'm doing. And they were like, we have notes on your your latest draft. Here are two notes that are like very easily fixable. It was like, don't show a woman, don't show the process of a woman being stuffed into a laundry machine. Just cut to it. I was like, I could easily do that. No, what a great note to receive. (laughs) I mean, boo, but also like, yes, I will save you money and I could just delete that. And the other note was like, the only male character comes off as an idiot. And I was like, yeah, that's by design. But like, they're like, we're not sure we would like a little bit more depth to it. And I'm like, okay, cool. But it wasn't like restructure the whole script, like come back to us with an it was like totally fixable notes. So it made me really, really, really happy. And he was like, "Uh, do you want to meet weekly? Let's talk about casting. Like they just they're involved now, which is really wonderful. Who knows what else that means? It just feels like I've got more people to reach out to for support. It's project. That's awesome. So what would their involvement mean? Would it mean like that they help fundraise and all that stuff? Or would they just be the production company? Would it be both? Unclear? What what is what do you, what do you get out of this situation? They, they were like, What do you want? And we're like, Well, we need help with fundraising and right now we're casting and we could use some more help on casting. And the director of development was like, Well, I'm not involved in fundraising, but I'll help you with casting and then I'll bring on other members of our team to talk about fundraising. So oh, cool. I don't know what that means. Like that's vague, right? But we're meeting this week to talk about casting. He already delivered a list of actors that they have connections to. And my hope is that I'll get a sense of like what exactly they're doing in the next week or two and what we can do for them. Like not just being a one-way street, right? Two-way street. How could we benefit them? How do they benefit us? Nice. Other question, have you, would I have heard of this production company and or uh, a movie they made? We have had at least one past guest who has worked with this production company. So you would have heard about that, the company through them. Okay. And they were nominated for an independent spirit award this year for a film that they did. Oh, cool. Which I think isn't like enough information but is somewhat vague as well, I think. I'm not going to figure it out. Okay, cool. Then we're, yeah, we're good. We're good. That sounds, uh, it sounds like good things. Like a a company that you want, like, you know, 
at least one filmmaker you know has worked with them and had a good experience and they've won an award or nominated they were nominated yes well, nominated as well now they're terrible yeah uh, well, nominated no that's good <laughs> well, that's exciting yeah we'll see we're gonna keep on moving keep on plugging we're not sleeping so i'm hoping that the things that i'm saying make sense i was thinking back about how many times i've said that on the show and it's a lot (laughs) oh that you're not sleeping (laughs) yeah it's a good amount i mean what do you mean i mean do you get any sleep or is it just like there's interrupted sleep or both from 9 p.m to 4 a.m we are in bed trying to sleep and it's like waking up probably four or five times within that span. Wow. And not really getting more than two to three hour at most naps. Four to five. Wow. So it's like every two hours or even yeah. more frequent than that? Sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So like, yeah. So yeah, they're just naps, you know, they're just naps, but they're concentrated naps. So that's really nice. Wow. Is really That's considerate rough. of her. Oh man, I feel like anything I could complain about is not even worth complaining. It's all about relative, at all. right? We all <laughs> go through our own <laughs> travails. <laughs> How are you? Are you going through something suffering? Tell me about your suffering, Alric. No, I mean my my suffering self inflicted because uh, <laughs> you know my kids are asleep between six thirty and eight, both oh, of them, and amazing. then they don't they don't wake up. Well, one doesn't wake up until question mark seven to eight whenever we wake her up and then the other one will wake up anywhere between like 12 and three but just once and then he'll go back to sleep so like i, I really don't have yeah and like this morning i was like woken up at like six twenty to like change a diaper oh, but then it was so like nice. but then he like let me go back to sleep we slept together till eight thirty after that so it was like oh. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right son you just want to sleep all the time that's fine I'm not going to complain, you know, but they're they're not alarm. My kids are not alarm clocks like other people's kids are like, yeah, my kids will not wake me up. They I have to wake them up. so far. All right. So far, so far. at the moment, you, I, I just dread. Yeah, I know. I just dread when BB's like a teenager and like it's impossible to get her up because like right now it's like she will literally sleep like an hour to two hours in if we let her and like. You know, I can't imagine how hard it's going to be when she's got to get up for school, like how hard it's going to be to get her up. Well, oh, here, he just for for context, Colin doesn't like getting up. I change him like I change his outfit because he's like, Bleh. he's like a big blob. And well, then that's funny. we'll just pick him up and we'll just throw him into the car. You know, I mean, yes, I agree. Teenage years, it's going to be hard <laughs> to change your child and throw him into a car. But like, but like the you first have that years, ability to like, just lift him up, put yeah, their clothes just on. Toss him in. Maybe there'll be a machine for, for children, for us, for parents by that point mm-hmm. to help us with those problems. Uh, uh, a child dressing machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. No, but other things going on with me, good, good things. I've been writing now up to page seventy one on my uh, my nice. feature, which is great. So getting close. I, I want to wrap it up in the next fifteen or so pages. I, I don't want it to be over ninety pages. I think somewhere between eighty five and ninety would be a really good place to be because I know yeah. with my writing and the way that I write that it, it will be longer. Like if I write, if I shoot an eighty five page script. I'm probably shooting at, at least enough for a two hour movie, if not more. So oh, like wow. I need to like, you know, yeah. 
cut it down there. I mean, and that was that was based off of the alternate, which had a lot of no no dialogue, just like pages of action description, you know. And this one has that too. I think it probably has less than the alternate did because like the alternate, like literally like half of the movie, like he doesn't even say anything. He's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, in the office, like doing stuff and like exploring and whatever. And those are the scenes that take forever to shoot and are really (laughs) just time consuming of, of, you know, like a page. It might be a page of, 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 you know, action description, but it's probably like two minutes of, of screen time, you know, uh, when broken down. But yeah, but no, but it's good. I'm really excited that I'm so close to the end and I have like I've I've had it broken down for a long time, but it was very broadly broken down. Now it's like really like I have the whole I, I just the other night I, I wrote out a beat sheet for the last 15 pages. So it's like all clearly written out like what needs to happen and, and everything. So it's like a really good like thing for me to follow to finish this so yeah i don't know so we'll see close. we'll, see. we'll see where i am in a week maybe i'll have five more pages maybe i'll have 10 more pages maybe i'll have two more pages whatever but i mean it's it's really nice that it's like been going like i feel like i'm getting into a rhythm of writing where i can actually just like sit down look at it and like for 30 minutes to an hour like actually make progress and i think it's giving me false hope that like when i'm finished with this one that i could actually write the other one as well because my goal by the end of the year is to have two screen screenplays written. You so, can do it. You we'll can see. definitely do it. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, it was, it's it. early. It's February. So I got time. But you know, the other thing that you should have time to do is to check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast. This is the place that helps the show stay alive. One of the ways to help helps the show stay alive. We don't, we're not really doing anything big bonus wise right now because our paywall is down and that was like the big thing we were offering our patron, patrons, but we are thinking of things and, and, and swag may be coming in the future. Other things may be fun. Like one of the, the, the advantages to having this, you know, advertising thing going is that it gives us more opportunities to do other fun things. So we'll see, we'll see what we're going to, what we're going to cook up. It's, it's early days yet. But definitely check us out there. And thank you to all our, our patrons who have been supporting us over the years. We love you all. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Ian and Esham Nelms. Welcome back to the show, the Nelms Brothers. Thanks for joining us, guys. Woo, I'm honored to be back. Yeah, thank you for having us. For the encore presentation. Thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah, and you know, you guys have been awesome. Like ever since you were on the show, like you've like answered questions and like I've texted you guys about things and whatever. It's just like really appreciate all your help and everything about stuff. Um, it's great. Man, it's a team effort. It's a team effort. We've you know we've been in there. We've been there before. We still do. We're texting people as well, going like, "Hey, what do you think of this? What about this? What about that? It's, it's it's there's so much information I think that you're trying to gather when making a film or, or releasing a film that you need help. You need you need thoughts. <laughs> I thought we were here just to hang out. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Red Right Hand, it uh, stars Orlando Bloom, Andy McDowell, Garrett Dillahunt, Scott Hayes. Found a wonderful actor at Chapel Oaks for her you know, first big feature film. Yeah, I know we're super. O'Brien Garrity's in it, Moment Cray. But wow. uh, yeah, it's, it's a little like, um, you know, action drama. I, I hate to, like, I, that's the kind of the genre we figured it out that it is. Um, action drama. And, and it's rough and <laughs> February 23rd in the theatrical platform and uh, all over, you know, yeah, it'll be day and on day. demand. So it'll yeah. be on demand and all oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian's, be... Ian's getting so easily distracted. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I love babies. But yeah, 
It's about a guy who was sort of under the thumb of a local kingpin. Queenpin. Queenpin. Thank you, Ash. And he has to work his way back out. And he, he he's out. He's living the life he wants to live. And then she starts to reel him back in. The whole point is him to try to find his, figure his way back out of it. And, and we're really excited, honestly, because for us, look, I don't think you've seen Andy McDowell quite like this before. You haven't seen Orlando like this before. You've never even seen Chapel before, so that's good. <laughs> it's so there, our first film. Yeah, there's some new horizons here that we're, we're pretty excited about. Yeah. How many days did you shoot? We were scared. This is a wild, that's a wild, com- that could take a two-hour conversation right there. But So it started, it started with a 35-day schedule. We got whittled down to a 33, and then because of tornadoes and lightning storms, we, thought we shot 31 and a half. And as you can imagine, you know, going from 35 to 33, you're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to fit these other two days in? And then going all the way down from a 35 to a 31 and a half, it's like, man, you're really missing three and a half days. Like, you know, it's not like you pack all the stuff you don't really need at the end of the shoot. It's like, <laughs> it's all interdispersed. So it, you, you're like, you're just trying to figure out how the hell you're going to get the whole film shot. We, we had to become extremely accurate. We're also really lucky to have... <laughs> One of our producers, Michelle Lang, is like a scheduling machine. It's true. And she, through the entire shoot, she will continue to work the schedule, work the schedule, work the schedule, work the schedule, as, as tornadoes are happening, She's as like, lightning storms are happening. She sees that schedule like a beautiful mind. It, it really is. There's spider web strings and all kinds of things going everywhere. And she continues to stay on it because you just have to. Otherwise, you're, you're literally lopping limbs off, you know, to try to get a movie made. Well, for the record, I can't imagine having 31 days to shoot a movie, having shot mine in 19. And that was like with four days over. We've been so. there too, Albert. We've been there too, man. We, we commend you. We commend you. That's uh, not an easy thing to do. But yeah, if you could say, what was the rough budget of the movie? I can say, I believe it's under 10. Under 10. Million for all those out yep. there. Yes, thank yeah. you. Can you say it's over something? It's definitely over five. Okay. <laughs> over five under 10. I will say yeah. definitely over five, and I would say just under 10. I would keep it right around there. Yeah. Can you talk about the origin yeah. of the idea for this film? So Jonathan Easley wrote the script. Great writer. Uh, we got it through Thunder Road. They passed it to us, and they said, hey, do you guys, what do you guys, do you like the script? We're going to make it. Love to have you, you know, think about directing it. We read the script, and I think it was a blacklist script at one point. But it had such great characters in it. It wasn't Blacklist. It was the other one. It was a Fellows Nichols. Oh, was it? Maybe Nichols it was a Nichols nominee. Fellowship. Nichols nominee. Like semifinals or something yeah. like that. But it was really good. And the characters were really good. And it really drew you in. It's definitely a world we'd seen before. But it wasn't, the characters weren't as, I haven't, I hadn't, we hadn't seen a movie like that before with the characters that we were, that we, that drew us in and sucked us in. So, yeah. and then right upon reading it, We'd had a we'd had a meeting with Orlando like two years previous about our other film, Small Town Crime. He really liked that movie. He was like, I want to do something like that. I want to do something like a badass movie. He kept telling us, I want to do a badass movie like that. Where we're like, all right, yeah, this, that sounds cool. And then when we, we, when we read this, we were like, could you imagine Orlando playing this role? And we're like, dude, that would just be crazy yeah. if he was down to do a role like this. Like and, this Southern guy straight out of like bootleg country. You know, it's not period, but it's like, you know, there's there's some definite rural slant on it. And it's cool. We were just like, is would he get all tatted up? Would he like, you know, really go hard in the paint on a character like this? Because it's like, you, he's, he's usually so clean cut. You know, we just wanted to see if he would get really down and dirty. And man, we passed it to him. And like two days later, he gets back to us. He's like, 
boys, this, yes, this is a badass movie. I'm so in. This is going to be so awesome. And then he just proceeded for the next, like, two or three months of, of pre-production to just dive fully into it. He hired a dialect coach and for, like, three months was working on dialect. He'd call us every couple of weeks and be like, what do you think of this? And he'd run through some of the dialogue and he'd, he'd talk to us for a while. Yeah, he had like varying degrees of the accent that he was feeding us. And so we then when we realized we were shooting into Kentucky, we really started to dial in on like, okay, what if what do folks like right around there sound like? And then, you know, he was recording local voices and yeah. going to the coach and like refining it even more. And yeah, then pretty wild. by the time we got over there and he was shooting, man, we we thought he was super dialed because we were listening to a lot of folks that we were running into over there and talking to him. And he was he was so close. Like he was right there. So, yeah, and he worked his butt off. And, and not only with, obviously, like, the dialect and all that stuff and the character, but even that physical transformation for him is pretty It's, it's pretty impressive. He's I mean, always I, in good shape. Don't get me wrong. He always looks great. But, I mean, as far as, like, what he was trying to do with his with his facial hair and his hair and, and li he was lifting, like, two times a day. Like, he really wanted to have, like, this. Wouldn't to be very capable. He did. He yeah. wanted to be the guy that was doing those, like, jail workouts, you know, mm -hmm. for, the, like, the rest of his life. He looked, and it, it paid off, man. He really looked fantastic. Wow. Incredible. How long did you spend on working on the film from, like, when the script was brought to you to now being released? I think every one of these journeys is about two years. It's about two years, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, this one's a little, a little, a little shorter because we didn't write the the screenplay. But obviously, you go through a development process with the writer. Jonathan Easley is a fantastic collaborator in that regard. I mean, Ian, I say this up and down the streets of Los Angeles. Here, he's honestly like the best collaboration we've had with a writer on any screenplay. Yeah, we've had we've had you know collaborations before where you'll get a script that the writer's really happy with. And then you'll try to sit down and try to develop some things. And it's not necessarily that we're just trying to piss on it. It's more like, hey, we see this sequence. I see what you're doing here, but here's how we would want to pull it off. Or here's how we would have to do it to get it done. So then you have to sort of do a rewrite in there to get all those teams on board with like, hey, we want to add an extra of this in there. Or, hey, we think it might be a little better if we do this in here. Or, hey, here's how we would plot it out. Or here's, here's how it's here, like actually block it out instead of just kind of a lot of times when someone writes an action sequence, it's not quite blocked out. It's more just like, you know, they fight and there's it's a the essence play. of the and, scene. Yeah. yeah. And so you really got to get in there and try to block it out so everybody on your team knows what exactly you're shooting. So things like that were happening. We were expanding action sequences and man, he, was, he did such a great job. And at times, you'll have writers come in and we've had, we've worked with writers before where they'll kind of half ass the scene because they were happy with it the way that it was. You know what I mean? They're not exact, their heart's not in like changing it into what you wanted or how you, how you need it to be. But Jonathan, like, man, he would get in there and just dive in. He wouldn't even see the problems. Right? Like Ian and I would make a suggestion and there obviously there's, that's good in the moment, but then yeah. there's ripple effects throughout the entire script. And he would go through and like, just get in front of that and already be adjusting all that stuff down the, down the, the waterfall there for us and we're like oh man this guy like really cares yeah, he's he, really invested in like really trying all these changes through completely if you could change one thing about the film in any way other than inviting me to the focus group screening what would it be <laughs> no we wouldn't change that we'd have you there again Liz. <laughs> you're, you're a tough you're a tough crowd and that's a, that's what we want in those in those screenings you don't want people that are just like yeah you're good enough bud way to go you know you don't want that person in the screening you want people that are like Hey, great job here, here, and here. Here's where I think you can improve. This was a little slow for me. This was a little fast for me. I yeah. didn't get, quite get that character's arc here, there. 
You want all that. You want those. We, we don't need clapping on the back. We've got each other and our mom and dad for that. So. Exactly. exactly. But what we need is like brutal, candid feedback that's going to make the film better. And that's that's been obviously it's, it's pretty funny because people are always shocked. They're like, how do you sit there and just take that for two hours? You know, because it's it's pretty brutal. It can you know? be brutal. But we're, 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 I guess we're masochists in a way. Like we've already now we have a few of these in and it's just like, OK, here comes the, you know, the, you just realize it's part of the process. It's like doing your workout, right? You're like, OK, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to. It's going to suck. I'm going to beat myself up for an hour. You know, I'm going to be better for it. You know, but, but to, you know, tonight at 8 p.m. when I'm going to bed, I'm going to feel good about my day. Yeah, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to get the rest I need, and I'm going to be in better shape, hopefully. <laughs> but changing it, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would. Sh- I want that. I, mean, I wouldn't shoot. I wouldn't shoot in spring in Kentucky. That was probably the biggest problem. Is we Although, shot at the wrong time of year. You say that, and then I'm like, yeah, but all that chaos of the weather, it just fueled the movie, and like that, it's like it's like it was meant to be that, and that. It just felt like rock and roll when we were in it, and you can't change that. You're just like, hey, you know what? Like, that's the one thing that was kind of a pain in the neck, but that's how it was meant to be, so you just roll with it, and you, you figure it out. You also wouldn't, we wouldn't, there were certain things, elements that we were dealing with, one being dogs. The dogs were written, <laughs> the dogs were written throughout the script to have, you know, all these scenes and do all these things. And when we got there, they couldn't do any of the things that were written in the script that we talked to them about three months previous. We learned, I mean, we just learned a good lesson to like be more specific on what we need the dogs to do. Like, you know, you're like, hey, we need some dogs. And they're like, okay, great. And like, we need to do this, we need to do that. But like, great. And then you get there and like, hey, by the way, the dogs can't be around gunfire. And, and you're like, like, you understand there's an action movie with guns everywhere and we're using like blanks. Like, that, I don't know how that got lost in translation, but that was definitely a, bit, a little bit of a, a struggle and things like that. Well, also, there's times where I think a trainer wants the job. And they're promising you certain things and they want it to happen. Of course, hey, in two, three months, yeah, I'll have this dog, you know, walking backwards, doing backflips and swimming the swim, swim in the lake. And you're like, okay, great. And you get there and it can barely sit, you know, and you're like, what happened? You're like, wait, wait a minute, we needed to do all these things. And they're like, yeah, well, this is as far as we got. But I will say like, we got what we needed. We did. We got everything we needed. Like it was, it, did it take longer to get what we needed? hundred percent. Right. Yeah. But like, we got what we needed. So and it's not, and it's not like it's, it's not like it's not an adage you haven't heard a thousand times, right? Like don't work with kids and don't work with animals because it's a freaking nightmare. And I, that's not because, you know, all the great filmmakers have had wonderful experiences with animals and kids. It's because it's really tough. Them, no matter how well, you know, you're trying to train a one and a half year old kid, you're not going to get, you're not going to get what you need out of that poor kid. Yeah. And ultimately <laughs> a dog is a dog. And the dog, you're not going to, yeah, the dog is an animal. It does not have a level of understanding or commitment to what you're trying to do. But I will say the chickens and the horse are impeccable. We're impeccable. (laughs) Fantastic. That's funny. So I want to hear a little bit about, like, you mentioned with Orlando Bloom that you you met him when you were, like, casting for small-time crime. We met met him after. So the movie had been made. Sort of made the festival circuit. And we were at the same agency as him and they showed it to him. They just said, hey, check out this film. Well, they showed it to Orlando and he's like, oh, I like this. I want to meet these guys. Yeah. And so we said, oh, OK, so the movie was already done. But like yeah. I, I, what I really want to hear is like cultivating that relationship and, and connect, c- continue it all the way through for him to like be interested and able to like star in a movie once you found the right movie. 100%. So like we look when we sit down with an actor, we're just we don't just have a very surface conversation. We try to dig into like what their interests are throughout their life. We knew Orlando Bloom loved motorcycles. <laughs> we also knew, you know, we knew he had a certain penchant for other films. 
Yeah, we talked about a lot of movies and about what he was looking for at this point in his career or what he was excited about doing at this point in career. And he would show us movies that he was doing. Like he would show us these little, these independent films. Like he had seen a Zulu and Retaliation and these other movies he was doing. These smaller, very character driven, you know, different films that you've ever seen him. And they, they just like, aren't well known. Right. And they're just not overly well known. So we were like, Okay, I see what he's after. I see the kind of character work he's an actor after. I and see, what he's capable of. Yeah, and what he's capable of. And then we get this movie in and it's like, man, would he go this hard? Like, let's see. Let's see. Let's check. Let's let's check in with him and see what he's doing. And for us, like, you know, you sit there and you're like, oh hey, you know, we like this movie. And we talk about that for about five minutes. And then honestly, for us, it's like, okay, who is this person as a human being? You know, can we work with them? What are their interests outside of movie making? Can you go? you know, six months with them on a set, or, you know, in this case, three months, but can you go three months with them on a set and like everything, you know, you know, you can get to the finish line with them and they're going to be positive the whole way. We're also constantly looking for a different angle on that person. And when we sat down with Orlando, you know, we spent a couple hours with him at this, at like a breakfast. And we definitely saw a lot in this guy that hadn't been tapped that we'd never seen before yeah. on screen. And we were just like, wow, that is not how I expected him to be when we sat down with him. You know, like he has this like great energy that that Tom Cruise energy, you know what I'm saying? Like that energy <laughs> where where he's just he just he just glows when you're sitting next to him and you're like, man, I've and then you start to talk to him about certain things that he's interested in. Like I said, like motorbikes and like I didn't know this, but like he's like he was at one point like a very accomplished pot thrower. This was the craziest story Like he was telling us he went to college for building like ceramic pots and he was a sculptor right and he was telling us about his first year in the sculpting class and that he was like i just had this odd propensity for sculpting like bases like natural and bowls yeah. and he was like and i went to this they said hey you have this amazing ability and they gave him a scholarship to go to this place this art school and so he was making pots throwing pots and his first year they took this pot of his and they put it up in the class and they said, hey, this is how you throw a pot. This like, is the pinnacle of the crowd. He was literally like, <laughs> he's like, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just doing the best I could. He's like, but I've only been there a year and I had like the pot that they put up in the class. I was yeah. like, this is how it's done. So he was like, yeah, it's you, you just see, you just, when you're sitting there talking to a guy like that, you just get all these different faucets of his life that are really interesting. Although we didn't have him throwing, yeah, you know, Cash was not throwing pots in the film. Not throwing pots in the film, but we <laughs> thought about it for sure. No, <laughs> I mean, he is making uh, woodcraft. He is, he is carving. Yeah. So we were like, oh, he's a craftsman too. Like we wanted that part there. Um, was, were these conversations with Orlando, were, did you have them because he's kind of this figurehead in terms of helping finance films? Or was he someone that you were tracking for other reasons? Like, was it part of a deal-making strategy or was it because of a fan perspective? When we first went to him, we had no idea what his sort of international quote-unquote worth would be for that film. When we went to him, it was like, okay, regardless of where he's at financially, you would say in the marketplace, we were really excited about him doing a role like that. And so the first thing we had to do was go, hey, financiers slash producers that are in charge of the financing, what do you think of Orlando Bloom for this? Yeah. And they were like, that sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, so they're we're like, like, okay, great. Yeah, because you're like, hey, is there a path to production yeah. with this actor? You know, And whether that be you have to bolster the ensemble or they can do it on their own, that's all a conversation down the road, but you just need to make sure there is a path to production with that yeah. actor. Yeah, you don't want to cast somebody you're super excited about and then realize there's no way you're going to get to the budget you need with him, regardless if you if you cast 
you know, DiCaprio in the other role. You can't get there. You know, that's, you just gotta, you just gotta do that mental gymnastics on the math of like what it takes to get there. And fortunately they were excited and away we went. Yeah. And, and was it as easy as like just texting him because you knew him from before or did you have to go through his management like when you were ready to pitch this idea? It was a little bit of both. So we did text him. We go, we got something coming at you. Yeah, we, you, you definitely go through the proper channels because you don't want to try to back channel an agent or a manager that just always blows up. It's bad form. It's bad form. They get pissed off and then they'll immediately just be like sabotaging your project because they're like, this guy's an asshole or this girl's an asshole and they don't know the system and they, they got to respect that that I'm here to help you choose projects and be your sort of middleman. But that's what they're there for. That's why they're hired. So, But you were able to give him a heads up, like, like oh, yeah. look for Oh, yeah, we, we could text him and be like, hey, we're going to send something to your team. And he'd yeah. be like, great, man, I can't wait to read it. So there's that sort of, like, casualness you can have with it, but that's about the extent that we um, like to push it in that situation yeah. because we want to be respectful of everyone involved. And then, obviously, it's got to go to his team, and they've got to look at the package and the filmmakers and the script and just see if it's something that they feel is... You know, yeah, and that's, and that's the other part of it too, right? If you give something, if you give something to a, a piece of like a, a, to a talent, talented person that you're pumped up about, and they you don't give it to the team, there may be just something, right? That the team, the team could either help you with, or the team would understand about that person's involvement that could help you or hurt you. And they may tell you right off the bat, like we've absolutely talked to people's teams before, and they're like this isn't good for this person because of this. And you're going to run into these problems down the line. Maybe you should think about this person and this person, you know, and we're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We didn't even think of that. So they can, they can help you a ton as well and be your best. I mean, they also want to know like, Hey, who are you thinking for the other roles to make sure there's no like personal conflicts or anything right. awkward there. So there's a bunch of like stuff that you need to go through and process. When you guys are doing this, this presentation to the team, what is the package? Like, is it a deck that you build that has you on it? Or is like Thunder Road a part of that as a production company? Like, wh what are all the pieces that go into that package and and get detailed? I want to know, like, how many pages? Like, what are the contents? Like, what are the sections? Like, I want to, like, all that stuff is really interesting to me. Yeah. So I'd say it's different. It's different for each person, right? So if we're going, when we went after Orlando this time, we had Thunder Road on it already. We had Asbury Park. Asbury Park attraction. So we were armed to the teeth with Damn. producers and, and I think Rocket Science was already on it yeah. as the financier slash loan company. There was a budget in place. There was a budget already. And then we had a, we obviously had the script. We obviously, we did a director's deck book or, you know, a few pages on like what we thought the movie was, the character, things like that. You know, it's obviously got some pros on there, got some images um, that we kind of have flavor for the film and what we kind of hope it'll be. So you, you hit him from multiple sides on this one, right? So we'll text him, say, hey, it's coming your way. And then at the same time, the producers are hitting up his agents. And at the same time, the production companies, the heads of the production company that we're with, like, say, Thunder Road, is hitting up his agents or managers and saying, hey, this is coming. We're pumped. We think this is going to be a big deal. We're super excited about Orlando. The producers are calling, saying the same thing to the agents or managers. And we're hitting him up personally and just saying, hey, it's coming your way. You know, and, yeah. and everyone's really excited. I think the other part of it is, is like, there's a real money offer with it as well. Yeah. So there's no, hey, you need to jump on this and we'll figure it out. It's like, here's how much you'll get paid. Yeah. And then, of course, there's that back and forth between the producers and the and, and his agents and managers trying to find something that they're all comfortable with. And then, you know, from the, that's after he reads it, obviously, and says, yeah, he, he wants to do it. Let's try to figure it out. And then there's the back and forth. And then, you know, we landed on we landed on a number that was exciting for everybody. And we moved forward, but, but it's been different. It's like when we first started, 
or on some projects, we would just make the, we would personally just call the agent, sometimes blindly, but we would always make sure our T's were crossed and our I's were dotted. We had the budget. We had how many days they were working, when we wanted to shoot it. Yeah, had the, had the, the sort of director's little packet with, let's say, 10, 10 pages breaking down the script and the characters and what we thought of it. You know, something you would hand to a financier as like a pitch deck that just had the, with the pictures, you're just setting the tone, three or four movies in there that it's kind of like and why you think it's kind of like those movies. And it may not necessarily be like, oh, it's like true romance. Well, it's not like true romance because of this, this, and this, but you just tell them why it's like true romance, you know, and why you have that poster or those pictures in there. Yeah, that's pretty much what we would send. Or if we go in on our own, a lot of times I feel like with that, with that, yeah, you're loaded up with all this production company and you're financed and you're rolling. So that's exactly what you, that's the that's the most powerful route. But if you come in with like, oh, we have half a financing, or oh, I have enough to make the offer to the actor, which will get me the rest of the the financing. Okay, great. You just let them know. Just be very honest, and you're handing them this material, and you may be like, you may get lower on their pile of reading, but I don't think that necessarily means you're out of the game. And obviously, the more you have going for it, that you're that you're greenlit, and you have all the financing, and you're just looking for the right combination of actors to, to make it obviously pushes you to the top of the pile faster. Oh, I want to get a little macro. I'm just nervous that my child's going to scream while I ask this question. So we're going to find out. As you scale up from project to project, I'm curious if more or less attention is put into marketing and distribution by you two individually. Like, are you able to step back a little bit more now that you're working with bigger and bigger budgets during the release of the film? Or is your evidence on our podcast enough to suggest that you are still constantly on the ground hustling to get everyone in the world to watch this movie? Yeah, I don't think that ever changes. So you've got to be full tilt in no matter what. And obviously Magnolia is wonderful. They're doing a great, great job. But we're, we're, we're obviously uh, very hands-on. We like to be involved in every aspect of it, whether it's the poster design or the supplemental materials going out or images or anything like that. Like, we really like to have hands on that stuff. And just, you know, look, you, you need to make sure that the movie is presented to the world in a proper way. And that's, that's all you really want to do is just make sure it has the best foot forward out of the gate. Because a lot of times when you're, like, the marketing folks have a different idea of what's going to sell the film than if it's actually what the film you're selling is. And that's not a knock on them. It's just they know how to sell the film. But you as the filmmaker have to make sure you can live with how they're selling the film. Because if they're selling it as a, a full-blown rom-com or a full-blown action thriller and it actually is a slow burn or it it's more of a zombie rom-com, you know what I mean? You should probably have some zombies in there. Or you should probably, you know, it's not just the two actors and you're like, oh, it's a great little rom-com. Whoa, where'd these zombies come from? You know, you just got to... You got to make sure that you are that it matches up with exactly what what you think it should be yeah, when it comes out. You don't ever want to misguide your audience's expectations because that will definitely bite you in the fan. It'll piss everybody off. So I'm I really want to get to like like it's a kind of amazing thing that you talk about like you know having Thunder Road come to you with the script and then have all these teams behind your movie before you even get cast attached. So can you just talk a little bit about like why or how you think that came about? Like, was it simply because Thunder Road thought that you guys were the right directors for this movie and then they picked you, you said yes, and then they rally all those people around it? Or, you know, and, and, and why do you think that happened? Was it just because Fat Man was successful or was it because of like your body of work? Like, I just want to know a little bit of like why you felt like this perfect thing all came together for this movie. So, so for this one, it was a relationship that we built. When we made Small Town Crime, 
we had a meet. They they had watched it. Someone over at their company. I think a couple other people. Well, I thought there. Zach and Jason liked us. Their attraction. They right. They had the script. Right. But that all came off of our relationship with Thunder Road because okay they had seen so they had seen Small Town Crime early on. We had a meeting over there after Small Town Crime. And they said, hey, we want to do something with you guys. We liked your movie. Let's try to find something. So they hired us to rewrite a project over there. And we were going to head our way into directing it. And then we got Fat Man going. And while we were still trying to get that one going. And so we chose to go do Fat Man. And then they ended up saying, well, hey, actually, we've got something we could probably do with that other project. We're going to go do that with it. And it turned into a Quibi project. They were like, hey, we had an offer from Quip to turn this into a Quibi project. And I think we're going to do that if you guys are going to go do Fat Man. So we're like, okay, we'll try to find something else after this. We're like, okay, sounds good. So we went off, did Fat Man. They turned that into a Quibi series. And then there was they started sending us other stuff. Like, hey, what do you think of this script? What do you think of this script? And we saw two or three of them. We're like, ah, that one's not quite right for us. That one's not quite right. This one hit us. And we're like, oh, we actually really like this one. And guys from Traction, Zach and Jason had seen... Yeah. A couple of other films. They've seen like Fat Man. Well. They've seen Small Town Crime. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I think these guys would be a good fit." So that's that's kind of how it came came our way. And then Thunder Road's like, "Yeah, we really like those guys." Like, okay, cool. Yeah, we want to we want to so, movie. Those I guess guys. it's like a perfect storm, right? That a lot of the things we've done in the past confluenced to lead to this opportunity. Yeah. And and do you feel like there was anything that you guys did like when the script came to you? Was it just like an easy thing, or do you feel like there was something that you like a way that you responded to that situation? that set you guys up for success? Or was it just like, oh yeah, like, you know, we're already kind of in, in the circle and there's no special anything that we have to do. It definitely helped that we knew a lot of the execs over at Thunder Road so that when we did have that big meeting with like Asprey Park Attraction and Thunder Road and all those cats were on there. We had like, you know, six or seven people were on there staring at us saying, what do you guys want to do with this? What are you going to do? You know, and now it's it's ours to lose, right? So we're like, okay, well, here's, here's what we would do. Here's the pitch we have. And a lot of our, our pitching was just like, you know, pushing some of the action sequences a little further, trying to get as much as we could out of it. And we like that company, we kind of knew what they were after, right? They didn't come to us and just say, hey, what do you think of the script? They said, hey, we're doing these lines of, we're doing these action thrillers and they're kind of baby John Wicks. Like we want, we want to make these, these little action films and we have this much of a budget. And then Esham and I are looking at it like, you know, knowing just because we have been in the production and the budgeting of a lot of our stuff, we understand how much things cost. And we're just like, okay, well, here's how far we would push this. And this, I think we could push this further and let's do more here. It's just interesting, right? Because the, like John Wick's like, what, like $80 million. Yeah. Uh, and so then you're out there like, Hey, we need, we want something that's like John Wick. And like, we're going to give you one eighth of that. So you're like, okay, well, let's figure that out. You know, like what that is, it satisfies everybody. But I think for us, like when we went in we said, Hey, look, here's what we, I think we all need to be successful at the end of this journey with the film and deliver what you all want and what we'd like to get out of it as well. And then talk about what you like about it. And hopefully it's what everybody else likes about it and the things you don't want to change about it. And hopefully that's what they don't want to change about it. And I'm sure there's a couple of things that we were like, oh, we, you know, this scene or that scene, we, we, we see it a little bit differently. And maybe I, there's probably small quibbles throughout that whole process. But overall, I think we all had a very similar version vision for what we thought it could be or what it was going to be. I also think if you, if you don't align with your producers and your, you don't want to your do executives, that anyway. you don't want to do it. Right. So it's like, don't be. It's hard to say this, right? Especially if like, you know, because everyone wants a job, but it's like, hey, if, if this isn't the one that, that the stars align for, you got to be willing to walk away from it, right? If you if you go and you pitch up something like, hey, this is what I think it needs, or this is you know, what it does wonderfully, and like, this is how we're going to succeed in the end. And they're like, no, we want this. 
I don't think it's something that you should do you know, for everybody. Some people do it, but like to change your whole reaction to a project based on somebody else's perspective. Yeah, we've 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 had many conversations about it, about when we're pitching projects or how we're pitching projects or how we go into these meetings, because it's always a bummer, right? When you go in and you pitch your heart out and you love this project and then you don't get it. But if you would have gotten it, and it wasn't the same vision version of what those got producers, yeah. and it wasn't what got you excited. You didn't want that project anyway. Could you imagine going in and being like, this is what makes me really excited about this project. And I really want to do this. And they're like, that stinks. We think that stinks. Your ideas stink. We want it like this. We're going to still hire you, but you need to make this. And you're like, ah, God, that sounds terrible. Especially if it's like two years of your life. Right. You're like, then you're just going to be pissed off that entire two years. You'll made a little bit of money. You've got a movie out there, but it's not going to be something you're like ready to kill for. It's not going to be something you're like, this is my movie. I'm so pumped about it. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure it's been done, but it's really hard to make a great, make a great movie with something you're not immensely passionate about. So when we go into these pitches, we've, there's been plenty of pitches we didn't get, but we go in, we pitch. We give it, this is what gets us pumped up. If it's not what gets them pumped up, then we didn't want it anyway. So it's easy to sleep at night when we go in there and we pitch on these things that we don't get. And then when we do get the ones, they're like, we loved how passionate you were and excited. Yeah, we wanted it. And we wanted this version of it. And if you didn't want that version of it, then that's okay. It's okay. Still love you. We'll find something else. Yeah. What are those things that get you excited? Like what is the ineffable Nelms Brothers motif that you're looking for in these scripts? I guess for this one, a lot of it was the characters. Like, yeah, they they drew us in. We we were born or raised, born and raised in a very rural environment, and we grew up on a horse ranch out the kind of middle of nowhere on the sticks. And that is kind of what the movie is, right? It's about a bunch. It's about a family that grows up in the sticks on farm. They're trying to save the farm. It wasn't. We didn't. We didn't grow up in Kentucky, but there were so many themes and tropes about the movie that made us think of our own lives yeah. and made us think of our own family members. And then there was the characters were written so well. We loved the villain. We loved the hero. We loved the family around the hero. We loved the henchmen around the villain. Um, and then we loved the cat and mouse. Rare, there's a, there's a, like rarely in thrillers, I think. Do you get to see? Do you, do you get to see the main character spend a lot of time with the villains? And there's like the the way that this movie is structured, or the way that it kind of goes down is. Cash, our main character, has gotten out of the he's gotten out of the mix with these people. Spoiler. Right. Spoiler. Sorry. And then he gets drawn back in and he has to work with them. So you get to see him like working with these guys for a little while. And I think there's a bit of a moment where you're like, oh, maybe he's like I can see how like he's kind of getting, you know, he's kind of getting it's like a frat. He's getting he's back in the fraternity. And they're they're giving <laughs> him they're giving him shit for the first job or two. And you're like, okay, well, I could see how this kind of, you know, this what would you call it? Like a brotherhood? I don't know. It, it's kind of, but it's like a really, it's like a really bad brotherhood. It's like a bad relationship, but you could kind of see it forming possibly into like a good relationship. Maybe there's, they're going to find a way to start working together and, and maybe he's going to go back into the fray, but then obviously it goes south pretty quickly and you realize, oh, he's going to have to start taking these people apart. <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, there's no two ways. This is a kind of a deep question, which I, I want to this attempt here. And, and anybody who hasn't heard our first interview with the Nels Brothers, you go back and listen to that one right now. But I remember a story you told about after, before uh, Waffle Street, what was it called? Waffle. Yeah, Waffle Street, you're right. Yeah, Waffle, yeah, Waffle Street. <laughs> yeah. 
and like, like the story of how you got that movie. Basically, you're at a film festival. People saw your these these guys saw your movie. Said, "Oh my God, we we want to make a movie. We love your work. Here's we got the half million dollar budget. Let's go make this movie or whatever." And so that was kind of how you got to Waffle Street. And then like looking at your your IMDb, it just grows from there. It's like your next movie is like a little bit bigger. And then Fat Man is huge, you know. And now you're doing this other big movie. And it's like you, you kind of like you basically went from like making small indie movies to making like you know, movies basically twice or four times the size of your last movie. So the question is, if that had, had hadn't happened, if you hadn't had that chance encounter at the film festival, what do you think your next step would have been for your next movie? Like, what would would you have gone up an incremental budget level, or would you still try to make something as big as Waffle Street? Like, what would have been the next step after that? I think the next step was what we were working on while that was happening, is we were trying to work on getting small town crime going. And we were sitting there trying to think of like, what are the varying budgets levels we could get this done at? Like, okay, is there a two to $500,000 no. version of this film? And can we get it going? And simultaneously, we'd gotten it to a couple of agencies and UTA really liked it. They really liked Small Town Crime. And there was an agent there, shout out to Ali Ben Muhammad. He was trying to help us cast it, you know, not necessarily because he had any financial interest in it, I'm sure there was somewhere down the road in his mind, but he was li- he literally just really liked the script. We weren't rep there. He really liked the script, and he was trying to go through UTA's roster and help us cast it. And that was kind of what we were doing while we were fin- like while we were running around with Lost on Purpose while that was finishing up its run. He was helping us trying to cast that through UTA's talent. And then someone at a film festival saw late in the game, very late at a very small film festival, saw Lost on Purpose and said, "Hey." We want to take a meeting with you guys. But, but I think, like, even if we hadn't gotten Waffle, we would have figured out another movie by hook or crook. You know, we would have shot something for 20 grand with an FX3 or 7 or whatever that was yeah. that. But the thing that we had, the thing I will say that we had is we had, we had scripts that were getting us attention. We didn't, you know what I mean? We had, a, we had a, the next level for us was small town crime. And we were like, okay, can we do it for half a million bucks? Can we do it for a million bucks? Can we do it for a million and a half bucks? What talent do we need to hit those levels? And that's really what we were working on, right? There now. was some version of that movie that we was some version made. we would have done. And, you know, and we had shot and we talked about this in the first one, but like our first film was $1,500 feature film. The second one was a $5,000 feature film. The next one was the $200,000 feature film lost on purpose. So we were very, very ready to jump out and make a $20,000 feature film with just someone we thought was great or a $100,000 feature film, which is someone we thought was great in that role. The cool thing about small town crime was we were just like, well, this is just all neighborhoods. And, you know, and yeah, there might be a night where we're running down the street with some plastic guns that might get a little hairy, but like we were, we were going to find a way to do it, you know? Right. And then, it, but it ended up being what, like a $1.5 million movie? Uh, 1.9, I think 1.9 small town. Yeah, and then like Waffle Street was around like what, somewhere between five and 800,000 or something in that zone? And it was 800,000, I think was the end of Waffle Street, yeah. I mean, it just like, cause you know, being a person who just finished his first $200,000 movie, it's just like getting to 800,000 seems like fucking impossible, right? And so like, and then, you know, you guys got to 1.9 on your next. So it's like the, the leaps and then like, you know, 14 million <laughs> or something, whatever it was on Fat Man. It's like, it's this this incredible trajectory that you guys have been on. So I'm just like trying to think about like, you know, for other independent filmmakers like me, like what what can we be doing to, to set ourselves up? I mean, we, we can't expect that, right? Like that's like the golden goose amazing situation. But like, you know, what can we expect? like expect to get our next movies made. And I love what you're saying. Like make a movie for $20,000, make a movie for 50, whatever, just make the movie however you can. Like, I think that is really great advice. 
I think you, you just have to keep going no matter what. And I and look, Ian and I had a couple films that didn't that didn't have that. Well, I guess maybe they did, but like the first first movie we did was like fifteen hundred bucks, right? So the second movie we did was five grand. Those didn't get us to one point nine million, right? Like right away. You know, we had to do we had to do some some more work. Uh, we weren't quite ready for that step yet. So you know, if you just keep slugging along, I mean, that you've come out and you've made your made your first feature at two hundred k. Like congratulations, it's amazing. Like that's such a great great. Uh, accomplishment. Yeah. It's, I, it's, I should be like lucky that I had that. Yeah, you know, for sure. That's a huge. That's <laughs> a huge level, right? I mean, if if you would have talked to us back when we made the fifteen hundred and five thousand dollar film, that you'd made a two hundred thousand dollar film, we would just have been like two hundred thousand dollars. How do right? we even get that? We could probably <laughs> we could probably launch a space shuttle for two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Like, cut us loose. Give me two hundred grand. But then you get in there, right? And just it like goes so the quick. experience you had, it's like you get in there with the two hundred thousand dollars, and it's like once you're in with you have to pay certain unions and people a certain amount and you have to have a big enough team because there's all kinds Can't of things happening all of a sudden well, you're making the same level of film you did at five thousand dollars yeah. just with more people because those movies you were making at five grand like no one was getting paid we were all out there just doing it and like five grand went to like paint for the walls and renting a camera equipment you yeah. know like it, nothing was no one was getting paid we were all out there just making it happen yeah uh yeah and then you get later just like said, ian said you're saying 200k but it's essentially the same experience as the free 5k movie i, I would say though all i would say my advice on getting to that next level has got to be the talent that you're casting in it. And, and because that, that's how we did it. That's how we did it. We did the first two films had zero names in them. The next one lost some purpose. The way we got to 200 K for us that worked because it was just a drama. There was no sci-fi or thriller element to it. It was Actually, literally yeah. just a drama. Like we, we cast name talent. Like it was, it was names that got yeah, us. We got James Lafferty, got Jane Kaczmarek. We got yeah. C. Thomas Howell. And Aaron Hill at the time had just coming off Greek. Like we had, we had a bunch of people. And then like, I mean, and then once we got the film together, we started going out to, I mean, Octavia Spencer just happened to win an Oscar the year before we shot that film. So we went to her and we said, hey, will you do this tiny part for us? And she was like, yeah, I'll come in. This sounds fun. And then she's friends with Dale Dickey, who we'd seen in a play. And we said, hey, do you, can you help us approach Dale? And she did. And she said, Dale, love these guys. Can you just read the script and see if you're interested? And she did. She was on it. Awesome. She wanted to do it. She came in. And then I taught swimming lessons to Janet Gunn, who was in Silk Stockings in the 90s and in one of my favorite Van Damme films, The Quest. Um, and I just said, hey, will you read this and see if you're interested in doing this role? She read it said, yeah, this sounds fun. Our DP knew a kind of connection to Leon Russell. Yep. Our DP knew Leon Russell, who's in a couple of Coen <laughs> Brothers films. Like, I mean, we just wow. pulled together, like... Every single the connection. The best ever fucking cast we could get a hold of in every role. We're just like, who will come in and do a day for us on this little part that we know is going to knock out of the park? And we still do that to this day. Like we every still role. do it. Like yeah. we're like calling Jeremy Ratchford, who's been in, you know, Cold Case. Well, not only that, but like he's in a bunch of our stuff. Our stuff as well. Like, we're just like, hey, Jeremy, can we come do this like little part? And that's us? another guy that came and did it for us on Lost on Purpose. We were at the same management company as, as Ratchford. He'd been in Cold Case for I don't know how long that show went on, eight years or so. And we just said, hey, man, would you come in and do this DJ? Oh, I'm a big Wolfman Jack fan. I'd love to do something like that. And even though it was something we shot in like two days, he just came in and did it for us because he thought it would be fun to do a Wolfman Jack role. When am I going to get another chance to do a Wolfman Jack type character? The cast that we were able to, to round up through the grace of God was like so above and beyond the money we had to pay for it. And then the next one, right, we get to Waffle Street. And it's like, OK, well, how do we justify having even a half a million dollar budget? And the people that were putting up the money for that was like, hey, you got to get some of this name talent here. And it was like, OK, we got Danny Glover. And they're like, OK, well, that actually gets you $800,000. We're like, fucking amazing. OK, right. 
And then from there, you're able to cast like the Dale Dickies and James Lafferty came in and started and did the lead. And then uh, you already had like those relationships. Right. Yeah. You know, right. Built. And then once we piled up that cast, you're like, OK, well, who, you know, who was the guy from Total Recall? I can't remember. The yeah. Oh, <laughs> Guato. He's yeah. got the guy in his gut. He's so thing. great. Marsha Bell. Thank you. Yeah, so Marshall Bell came in and did that that role for us. We would just we just always try to find like an interesting, cool, and in that case, you know, we're looking for some kind of name, you know, that that. But we were just excited to work or, or char- like a, or like a great character. Like we love a lot of these great character actors that that we grew up watching. Like we're constantly trying to snag them, you know, for something. Nice, that's uh, amazing. We're dying to work with them. But yeah, I, that's what I would say. The talent is what it is. And, and it's a game of inches on the talent, right? You're not going to go from... Uh, zero to Brad Pitt. Right. You're not going to go from zero to Brad Pitt. You're not going to... You might. You might. Like it, it happens. <laughs> it happens, but it barely happens, you know? So yeah, you, you just got a game of inches your way up. of like, okay, I worked with... Uh, boom, 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 boom. And everyone's at a weird... Like, no one's... Like, you know, Danny Glover in the 80s and 90s was... We never would have got Danny Glover. But... Fortunately for us, you know, Danny Glover was willing to do a film our size at that point, you know. Right. So, legend. Absolute yeah, and he's legend. an absolute legend and he's incredible in the role. So like we just happened to snag him at the right time, at the right place when we could. Well, we have just a couple more questions in the time that we have uh, available to us. The next question is what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received or even dispensed if you've never been given good advice, guys? Oh, get tons of it every day. I think, I, look, I, I just come back to like something Mel said to us on Fat Man. Oh, you're going to quote Mel Gibson, Ash? Really? <laughs> Sorry, is that, too, is that too much? No, I just said, like, I remember we were out there shooting Fat Man and he was like, hey, guys. And we were like worried about this this sonic part of this the performance. And uh, he said, look, guys, I can go in a booth and knock this audio out all day. You're only, you better, you know, you only get one shot to shoot the picture. So let's make sure every frame of that is rolling and we can record the sound in a booth. So, look, that's not always true. Ian and I love to have every bit of practical audio we can in the movie, but that's something that's resonated with me. Uh, I actually really like a, a cranky sound guy, too, because there's nothing better than when you get into the post and your sound's good, and you're like, oh, thank God that guy was yeah. up our keisters about it because it's it's really good. We don't have to go get a bunch of ADR. <laughs> um, I really I really like the – sorry, let me throw this out there because I think that, I think that it, it it's from the start to finish for us is just make stuff. Keep making stuff continue to make stuff that's that's our mantra but i don't know that it was if anyone told us that i feel like we heard it like yeah i guess you're right you've got to make like no one's like <laughs> i guess from the beginning we were like oh the problem that no one's reacting to our scripts is because they haven't seen it up on its feet we naively thought well we'll just make them and then people will be like oh yeah these are brilliant of course these guys yeah. know what they're doing just a lot i will say there's a lot of stuff you should ignore that people tell you yeah, <laughs> like you're never gonna make it. That's impossible. <laughs> you know, like this is too hard. Yeah, Getting that actor is gonna happen. If you can't get past that, if you can't get past those. You know, don't start because it's just the whole way. Everyone's telling you you can't do it and it's not gonna happen and that's impossible. You know what the percentage of that is and blah 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 blah. It's just keep making stuff and keep moving up and keep trying to level up with talent because that is a good way to get a level up in budget. Well, you kind of already answered it, but like, what's the worst filming advice you've ever received? Don't make anything. Yeah, it's, no. anything, it's anything <laughs> negative, man. Like it it's really anything. is. It's anything. And like and like I think also like you just can't you just can't isolate yourself. You know, like you, you've got to really go out there. This is a collaborative medium. You're making this for people. It's not just you in a silo. So go out and get other people's reads on your scripts. Get other people's views on your films. Yeah, don't it's be only going to make it better. You know, so like I get it. The auteur vision 
is something we've all bought into, but most of those auteurs had a bunch of collaborators. I just finished that Path to Paradise book about Francis and Zoetrope and all that stuff. It's fantastic. So he's like good. one of the most openly collaborative human beings on the planet. And, you know, he's made some of the best movies of all freaking time. And there's a reason that happened. It just doesn't happen with Francis in Asylum, you know? Yeah, I feel like a lot of a lot of folks don't want to go out and get the the criticism either on scripts or the movies that they're making. Because it's hard. But you need it. You have to have it. It's uncomfortable, man, to sit there and have people tell you what you've spent so many hours and hours and hours and time and your passion, your heart's there. It's like, hey, this is deficient in some way. But that's part of the problem is that you're so invested in it and you're so in the trees that you can't see what the problems are because you know so many different faucets of it and the story from start to finish and the characters from start to finish. So you can't see that something's not working or that something's being overplayed or that you're, you're, you're seeding it too much or that you're foreshadowing too much or that, you know, that there's just so many, there's so many things that you need other people's eyes for this. So you can start to see it through their eyes. Yeah. And I will say this, like time is a wonderful eye opener. So we've had scripts that we would batten around for years and people told us certain notes and we were resistant. And then now we look, read them with 20, 15 years later, <laughs> we're reading them with 20, 24 eyes. And you're like, oh, I see it. Oh, wow. I think they were actually right. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it just takes time, you know? Well, speaking of time, if you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? That's tough. There's different faucets of ourselves that we're wondering if we took that road, how how different it would be, or would we have gotten to certain places quicker? Or would we have... But then I will say we constantly talk about the path that we've chosen because there have been many forks in the road, the path that we've chosen. And I do think it's, it was absolutely the right one for us to have a certain amount of happiness in the work that you do. Because I think if you don't have that joy in the work, then it just becomes work and you might as well just be doing a nine to five. You know? And that's not what this was about. This was about doing things that got us excited that we were extremely passionate about and staying passionate about them. And we definitely know people that have become workmen in this space and it's like yes you're making a living being a filmmaker or a director or a writer in some way but you've it's not selling their soul it's just they're not getting the joy out of it that they should be getting out of it you yeah. know the personal fulfillment for them and i think like look be i think the more i've come a lot more we've come along this journey it's like be bold and just lean into you lean into who you are and not, and not necessarily worrying about trying to satisfy anybody else. And I guess it's not that we would change anything that way, but it'd be nice to have known that quicker. There's certain things that you, you know, we've been in this, working on this for 20 years now, and it's like working on being filmmakers for 20 years now. And it's like, you you think if I'd known that out the gate, there's a bunch of stuff now, now, right? Once you sort of get behind some of the gates, you're constantly trying to break down your barriers. But once you get behind a couple of the gates, it's like, oh shit, we'd have known this 10, 15 years earlier, like we would have, we would have busted it down earlier. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I also like, just don't, you know, it's, it's tough when you're in it uh, because you, at times you feel sort of like you don't have the, the, the I don't want to say power, but like that you don't have the power or influence to, uh, to push for what you believe is right. And I think you just, you, you need to, you're not always right. And you need to keep an open mind and like, understand like when you're making these, these choices creatively or financially or fiscally or in the business or anything, like try to take all perspectives and weigh them. But at the, at the end of the day, if you have a gut feeling, you bet you need to go with it. Yeah. There's one thing we really lean into is our passion for something. And thank goodness there's two of us because if like, I feel on this, you feel on that. And, and like, I'm like, woo, then we know we're good to go. Or if Aship <laughs> is like at 11 and I'm at like, five or six or seven on it, the 11 wins. Like he's like, cause I'm, I, that means, that means that he just has a really strong vision for it or passion for it. And he's probably right. 
especially if I'm lukewarm or just warm on it, my idea, what I'm pushing. You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily, we don't do that when it's like something like, how's the third act going to go? But we do things like that because that's a big question. But we've got to be synced up and super pumped about that. So we don't quit till we're both pumped up about that. But if it's something like, I was just like, I want to shoot it this way, or I'd like to see him or her play it this way, or, you know, like the 11 wins, or I like this line. I love this fucking line. This, this has to be the line. Then that usually is the line that with that person. Liz, what do you remember about our talk with Ian and Esham? Oh, that my child was screaming the entire time and I was on mute for three quarters of the interview. <laughs> and then like, I just kind of like sneak in a question every now and then. That's what I remember. I also remember that this comes up a lot in the show, the different answers of how to approach talent. And I've always agreed with the Nelms brother strategy, which is you got to loop in the reps. You got to loop in the reps. You got to go directly to the reps. I know so many people have presented the opposite advice saying like, find a personal connection, go behind the reps, try to try to woo the actor because the reps are a blockade. But I really love how the Nelms brothers are always so transparent and honest and they somehow find a way to work within the system without being scuzzy. Like they're not scuzzy. They're the opposite of scuzzy. They're such lovely humans. So just massive fan of them. Yeah, they're great. I, I could talk to them forever. I feel like, yeah. They're like a really great example of like the indie dream becoming a reality, you know, and like working on your movies for years and then, you know, getting an opportunity, capitalizing on it, getting another opportunity, capitalizing it. And now they're like making movies that are, you know, around 10 million plus dollars per movie. You know, they've got this is their second in a row at that level with like movie stars in their movies. And it's like damn, that's awesome. You know, it kind of feels like the sky's the limit for them. And, you know, like looking at what they've achieved, it's like, that's where I want to be in 10 to 20 years, you know? But like, I got to like, I got one down and like, you know, they're very sweet. They're like, oh yeah, your first movie is the same budget as our like third movie or whatever, you know, or fourth movie or whatever, third movie, I think. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But like, I don't feel like I'm in the same position as they were after their third movie as I am after my first movie. It's just a different time. I I mean, I think that they broke out in a certain way that's very difficult to do in 2024 or 2023. Yeah. But I just think it kind of comes down to like, I I emailed with Ian after the show and he was just like, you know, like you just got to keep on making stuff, you know, just keep on getting out there, just making your movies and getting them seen by people and just keep moving. And then like, you know, eventually you're going to, you're going to connect with the the people that you need to connect with and the opportunities will open up, but you just got to keep, keep going, you know? And they're big proponents of trying to get, you know, bigger cast in their movies, which I didn't do on my first movie. But that's something I'm thinking about for the second one is like, okay, what kind of bigger cast can I can I get? You know, and like and I love like the idea of baby stepping, you know, like I'm not going to get, you know, Orlando Bloom in my my first my next movie, probably. But like maybe I'll get someone. Yeah, like Garrett Delahunt or somebody like that. You know, uh, like he is not a huge so name. amazing. I love he's Garrett Delahunt. Oh my god, he's a fantastic actor. But like that, but that's the thing is, I think like if you look at the movies that they had, like it was it was similar. Like they had like you know like names, but like lesser names in their in their two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie. And then it's like Danny Glover, and then it's John Hawks, and then it's Mel Gibson. <laughs> then it's Mel Gibson. You know, so it's like it's like you. You go up, you go up, you go up, you know, and I think yeah. like that's sort of what I, I need to like start thinking about doing is like kind of going 
up and up, which you have done in your movies. Like you have named people in both of your films. And I feel yeah. like that's something I didn't do. And I think like, I mean, I attempted, but I think it, for me, like I, I really wanted to put the money towards the props and the effects and that stuff. And I think like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't regret that decision for my movie. I think that was like a good way to go. It. But again, like, it's not as if I did Schedule F, you know what I mean? I've always been very honest right. about paying scale for my talent, even though it's going to bite me in the ass in like 10 years. Someone's going right. to find these interviews and be like, you asshole, you shouldn't give away yeah, the, no. the salaries of your actors on podcasts. But <laughs> um, but I but I do. Yeah. So you have to figure out where the money goes. But I also think like genre has different rules, you know, true. It has diff- different That's genres true. have different rules. That's true. All right. I think it's time for Ask the Expert. What's Ask the Expert? You ask me, the expert. Well, it's a homespun handmade segment from our producer, Eric Toms, where he decides we are experts or at least have enough expertise in order to answer a question about indie film. And this week's Ask the Expert is... I've just finished a short and I've begun submitting to film festivals. My short features a very popular song. Should I get the rights before I submit or will be will I be okay without doing so? I have all of the answers for this one. I want to hear what Alric you say. I think you have all the answers too. I think your answers are probably a little bit better than me on this oh, one because it's like same. a world that you li- live in. But yeah, I would say you probably want to get a, sh- a film festival agreement at least you know just so that like you're covered for film festivals and then after that you know then i think you need to like just take it take it as as you can you know because if if you are going to get a wider distribution for the movie of some kind which for shorts is you know happens but doesn't always happen that i think can be worked out later and i know people who have like switched out songs you know if they can't get the they can't afford the rights to like a proper distribution but they can afford like a they can negotiate like a, a less expensive film festival run in a negotiation or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd probably at least get covered for the for the film festival. But if you could get covered for the whole thing, I would. But if it's like, you know, you have these conversations with people and it's like looking like it's not going to happen. I would just change the song personally, you know, and save the headache. But yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Liz? What would you do here? Yeah, I don't believe in film festival rights for music i think that's (laughs) really short-sighted i mean i get why you do it if you really feel like the song has to be in your short there has to be a you have to really convince me at the very least that why why does this film why is this the only song that could be in your short right i would say music rights are really expensive and you could use that money for other things And there's lots of amazing music out there unless there's like a real cultural reason why you have to get that song. I would say switch it out early. That means you don't have to re-edit. You don't have to renegotiate. And I would say a lot of filmmakers get taken advantage of if they have a successful film festival run and they have distribution for a short or a feature, Mm. the rights holder is going to going to negotiate pretty hard with you because they see you as dollar signs. So you need to get your rights in perpetuity up front. I would say an interesting example, counterexample to what I said that everyone will bring up is Jim Cummings and Thunder Road. You know, right. he didn't have the right. He didn't have the rights to play Thunder Road in his short Thunder Road. And he went to I forgot if it was the masters or the publishing house or I don't know the difference, but he went to like the office every single day 
and somehow got the attention of Bruce Springsteen and did get the rights. But you shouldn't assume you're going to be the outlier. You should always assume that you should get your T's crossed and your I's dotted as soon as possible. So it's not crap you have to deal with later. Here, here. Yeah. The, the, the more you can avoid having a problem with this, the better. Right. Because yes. like the last thing you want is to have, a, yeah, like you said, like a successful f- film festival run. And then like these people think they can like leverage that to get more money out of you. It's like that's not just get the deal done if you can or pick something original. You know what's really great in movies? Original music. Love or, and there's so many amazing yeah. composers out there. They want to work with you, you know, or, you know, it's also great. Like you probably have a band that you love. That's like, you know, a local indie band. How would they do the music for you? Your movie? That's a great way to go. You know, so I don't know. I think those are better. I would go in those directions if if it was me. Yes. Personally. Yes. But that's just me. Well, I have things to say, too, which is you could send us a question, comment or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH podcast and YouTube at Making Moves is Hard podcast. I think all the comments, if we get them, will just be about how unhinged I am when I don't sleep like this. I've been going <laughs> off the rails just a tiny bit today. Check out the International Screenwriters Association, which is an organiza- organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers. I'm not going to read the rest of this blurb. I'll just mess it up. But head over to IS- networkisa.org to sign up for free today. They are actually pretty wonderful. Thanks to Ian and Esham Nelms for coming on the show. Thanks to Mia Green from DDAPR for setting this up. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Rymoot, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to you next week. Sean's about to leave with the baby, right, Sean? Never. <laughs> then that's the thing, they never leave. They're here and they they stay forever. They stay. Uh, they don't. They, yep. they just get bigger and eat more. <laughs> Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.